All right, well, it is good to be here on the second Sunday of the new year. I hope all of you are happy with the way that your service, your year is starting out. Hope things are going good for you, that you're staying on your New Year's resolutions or whatever you decide to do different this year. You know, last week, I, I listened to a lot of sermons by other pastors, try to listen to the really good ones. And one of my favorite pastors is Pastor Tyler Statton out of Portland. He's also, oh, Donna likes Tyler. Who else knows Tyler? Mike knows Tyler. Sam knows Tyler. Tyler's a pastor in uh, Portland. He also is the director of the U.S. 24-7 prayer movement in America. He's a really good guy, young guy. And he's had a sermon the other week, and he, he raised a hypothetical question. And I'm going to raise that same question because I thought it was such a good one. He said, what would you do if you could trade in your relationship with the Holy Spirit for an in-person meeting with Jesus? What would you do could you, if you could trade in this 24-7, seven days a week relationship that you have with the Holy Spirit inside of you for a one-hour meeting with Jesus, would you do it? Now, I know we all know the answer to that question. We're all going to say no when we know why theologically, but that's why it's a hypothetical question. To kind of get you to think about that, would you do that? Would you trade in? Maybe, maybe like if you can meet with Jesus once a week for an in-person for 30 minutes, would you trade in that? I mean, it's a good question because I think if we're really honest, sometimes we feel like we're doing our Christian relationship, our Christian life wrong. Sometimes we feel like we're not doing it right, you know? I mean, we were told that you get the Holy Spirit to lead you, guide you, direct you, establish your ways, to comfort you, to provide for you, to speak to you. And sometimes you kind of feel like, is that really happening? Because sometimes you kind of wonder, it's like, you know, I'm praying about some decision to make and I think I heard this. But yet, a little while later, you figure out, that wasn't the right thing to do. Or you're crying out to God for comfort, and you're like, I'm not really receiving it. You know, sometimes we just feel like I'm not doing things right. And it seems like maybe it would just be a little bit easier if I could just meet with Jesus once a week for 30 minutes. You know, save up all my 30 questions. Wish I'd do this, why should I do that? You kind of get that every week. Would you do that? Again, we know the right answer, but it's kind of a good question to think about it because it kind of forces us to examine our relationship with the Holy Spirit. It kind of gets us to think about that. Now, as you're thinking about what your answer would be, we need to remember the words of Jesus as he was introducing the Holy Spirit to his disciples. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus says, But in fact, it is best for you if I go away, because if I don't, the advocate the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Basically, Jesus is addressing his disciples and said, you know what? You are all going to be way better off without me. You're going to be better off with the Holy Spirit. But sometimes I think we wonder. I think wonder sometimes, do we share the same enthusiasm that Jesus had about the Holy Spirit? Because for many of us, sometimes the Holy Spirit becomes this familiar stranger in our life. And I wonder how much that grieves Jesus. At one point, Jesus, when you read the book of John, it sounds you can read the enthusiasm in Jesus' voice. He's excited that he's going to give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's excited that he's going to go to the cross for you, and in return you'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes I don't think we're that grateful for the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we don't even really understand the Holy Spirit. Because so often this gift of the Holy Spirit has become an object of controversy in the church. 
Sometimes even talking about the Holy Spirit in the church is almost like bringing up politics in the church. Because there's so many different opinions, there's so many positions that sometimes we don't even like to talk about the Holy Spirit. And in church culture, you do have that problem. Usually in church culture, either you have your right way on the side of we're just going to focus on Jesus and the Word of God. That's great. Or sometimes you just focus all the emphasis on the Holy Spirit and the experience of the Holy Spirit. That's great too. There needs to be a place in the middle. And on church culture, it is very hard to find the place in the middle. It seems like most churches are either on one side or the other, and that's not an excuse. That's just pretty much a description of where most churches land. It's not an excuse, that's not something that we should do, but it's something that you need to talk about because when you talk about it, it forces us to say, hey, we got to meet somewhere in the middle. We all have to try to find our balance between studying the Word of God and with an experience. So during this year, I think it is very important this year that we look at the Word of God and say, what does it really say about the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible really say about the Holy Spirit and the experiences of the Holy Spirit? Because way too often, I think a lot of times, our views of the Holy Spirit are more informed by non-biblical information. Or they're more informed by experiences that went wrong. And this year, I think we need to have a commitment to say, we are going to focus on what is the truth about the Holy Spirit. And while we're doing that this year, I think it's important for us to ask the honest question of, Am I really thirsty for the Holy Spirit? Am I really desperate for the Holy Spirit to lead me in all things? And that raises up the question, do I really want an encounter with the Holy Spirit? Do I want to develop this lifestyle of relying on the Holy Spirit? See, even that question of saying, do you want to rely on the Holy Spirit, can sometimes become controversial in our Western culture. Our Western culture really likes to prefer knowledge over an experience. And I think it's important that we understand that our world is craving an experience with the Holy Spirit. Our world is craving supernatural relationships. And our world, especially our younger people, are getting tired of teaching in place of a relationship with the Holy Spirit, especially the younger generation. Survey after survey after survey is telling us that the younger generation is looking for a spiritual encounter. They are sick of only focusing on study and knowledge. They want an experience. And if we don't provide that in church, they're going to look someplace else. It's imperative that we do that. Josh Chen has a quote, and it's in your notes, but I think I quoted it by George Barna. George Barna was interviewing Josh Chen. And Josh Chen from Campus Crusade, he says, Each generation must discover the gospel afresh for itself. What sounded like good news to previous generations almost sounds like mediocre news to the younger generation. That's quite a quote. But this guy knows young people. See, for decades, we often present the gospel to people and tell them what you need to do to get into heaven. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's usually for decades what we've done. We find people and say, hey, do you want to know the gospel of Jesus? You need to understand how you need to get into heaven. But the younger generation, their response to that approach, they're saying, you know what? That's not really relevant to me right now. 
I'm not really concerned about heaven right now. Instead, the younger generation is saying, my life is so filled with anxiety right now that you need to tell me how I can experience the message of Jesus right now so I can have some peace. They're not concerned about heaven. They're concerned about making it till Tuesday. And that is their request. They're saying, instead of answering all my questions about sin and my questions about heaven and sounds about seven, uh, of, of salvation, I want you to answer my questions of how can I live without so much anxiety. As Josh points out, previous generations ask questions like, how do I get into heaven? Or what do I do with my guilt? And the younger generation is saying, how do I live a life without anxiety? What does it mean for me to thrive as a human being? Dramatically different approaches to the gospel. The younger generation is saying, you better show me an experience. You better help lead me into an experience. So what caused all this change? What happened in our culture? Is now, as the Barna research points out, there's two main things that have happened over the decades. Number one, anxiety. Everybody has more anxiety but especially the younger generation. According to Dr. Betsy Nesbitt, she says such high levels of anxiety put people in a constant state of fight or flight. That's what's happening when you have a lot of anxiety. So a lot of the younger generation, what they're saying is, I'm not really concerned what happens after I die. That's kind of irrelevant right now when I have so much anxiety. Again, it's their thing of like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through the week. The second thing that is happening in our culture, that is a big thing. Anxiety is high. These kids have been raised in school systems where you have drills for shooters coming in schools. These kids are raised in a school post 9-11 where you have extra security on a school building that we, a lot of us that are older never had. The second thing that's shifting in our society is we're moving from a culture that is a guilt-innocent culture to a culture that is now shame and honor. It sounds kind of similar, but there's huge nuances to it. See, for me, I was raised in a culture of guilt and innocent culture, which basically meant you're either, if you do something wrong, you made a mistake. The culture that our younger people are living in is much more a shame-honor culture. In this culture, if you make a mistake, you become the mistake. That's a whole different level of guilt and shame and condemnation that our younger people are experiencing that people my age and above never experienced. Our called younger people are dealing with anxiety and they're dealing with the fact they're raised in, a, in this shame-honor culture. And the younger generation is saying, I don't know where I belong anymore. They're saying, I don't even know how I have a life of any significance and again, they're dealing with their anxiety. What do I do with anxiety? Another big question is, what do I do with all the loneliness that I'm carrying? Our gospel message has to be able to address these issues. We have to address these issues for our young people to help them experience the fullness of the gospel. 
Now, we need to have an experience of the gospel on one hand, and we also need good, solid teaching on the other hand. But sometimes we forget about the experience. Last week, I read to you a scripture from the book of Acts, and I'm going to read it again because I think it is so foundational to understanding experiences. We often say, let's go back and do church like Jesus did. Okay, great, let's go to Acts 1. Acts 1, um, the author says, in my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Again, notice the order of words. Everything I began to do and teach. Most of Jesus' teaching always followed by an illustration or an experience. And later on, he followed it up with a teaching. One of the best ways that you see this is in John 13 when Jesus washes his disciples' feet. He gets out his bar of soap and he's going to wash his disciples' feet and they're all saying, no, 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 you don't do that, that's wrong. You don't do that. Jesus kept doing it. In the middle of Jesus washing their feet, he looked at them and said, you have no idea what I'm doing right now, but someday you will. And then Jesus followed it up with his teaching. And Jesus really hasn't changed the way that he does things today. All through the Bible, we see encounter after encounter of people having an experience and then later Jesus teaching them what happened. You see this with Mary, the mother of Jesus, going along in her own way and all of a sudden she has an encounter with the Holy Spirit saying, you are going to give birth to Jesus. And then we read for pages after on how that worked out. We see the same thing with Joseph, an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Your girlfriend's going to have a baby and this is how it's going to work out. Almost every Bible story starts out with somebody having a huge encounter with God, a huge encounter with the Holy Spirit, and we read chapter after chapter how that worked out. We see that with Moses. We see that with Abraham. We see that with Gideon. We see character after character has this huge encounter and then we read the pages to see how that worked out and each and every one of us if we are a follower of Jesus have had a similar encounter you would not be sitting here today unless you had an encounter with the Holy Spirit that opened up your eyes to the truth of who Jesus really is you would not be sitting here unless the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sins and showed you that you needed a Savior we are here because of an experience we had with God, but yet at the same time, our Western culture almost always downplays these experiences. And I think that's becoming really dangerous to us in our culture, that we downplay so much of the work of the Holy Spirit in our life because it leaves us with the idea that our experiences came through knowledge or understanding. And after a while, what happens when we think our supernatural encounters, all they have to do with knowledge and understanding is we no longer rely on the Holy Spirit. We start relying on ourselves because we say, if I can learn enough, I can replace the Holy Spirit. And that's becoming kind of dangerous in our culture. And I'm bringing this up for a specific reason today. One reason is because I want us to have more encounters with the Holy Spirit. But I'm bringing it up because I think there is one encounter with the Holy Spirit that Mike read about in, in Romans verse 5 that I want all of us to be really aware of this year. It's an encounter with the Holy Spirit that I want each and every one of us to experience this year. You are experiencing it, but I want you to be more aware and experience it even to a greater degree in this year. See, it's the beginning of 2023. We all have ideas for this year. We all have goals. We all have objectives. We all have things that we would like to see happen this year. Some of us would like to get a new job. 
Some of us like to pay off debt. Some of us are looking for reconciliation relationships. Some of us are looking for life direction. Some of you are looking for anxiety to decrease. Some of you are looking for your addictions to go away. We're all looking for something. And I will support, as your pastor and friend, I will support you in whatever you're hoping and praying for this year. But I want us to focus on Romans 5, verse 5. This promise that's embedded in this first this chapter of Romans. Romans 5 says, Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That's an encounter and experience that we're having, but we want to experience that even more. I like how the New Living Translation says, Because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. Then the ESV, I love this translation, says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Notice these words, to pour and to fill. That's the reference of the Holy Spirit filling your life. That's an encounter with the Holy Spirit. That's not talking about something happening because you're reading and studying. We'll get to reading and studying later. But this is an encounter that you have with the Holy Spirit. I think the Passion Translation even gives a better visual. It says, because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. That's a beautiful picture. Experience the endless love of God cascading into your hearts. What if that experience was on top of our list for this new year? What if that's what we were pursuing more than anything else this year, to experience and to be more aware of God pouring in his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit? That would be a great year. That would be a year of significant transformation if we really realized how much love God was pouring into our hearts each and every day. Now pause and say, look, it is not all about experience. We also acknowledge in studying and reading your Bible, that is just as good. There are times we need to read what the Bible says as well. We read in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. We know from reading the Bible that. We know in John 15, 13, greater love than this, that one will lay down his life for his friends. These verses are important. These are important for us to study and meditate on. But Romans 5, 5 is talking about a supernatural experience that happens because of the Holy Spirit. We need to be aware of that this year. Because when you become aware of it, you can see it happening more. So you might say, well, Jack, how does this happen? Well, that's the easiest part of my sermon. It happens supernaturally. It's just going to happen. But it's interesting, when you read the placement in Romans 5, you kind of don't expect it there in Romans 5. Romans 5 kind of starts out pretty good. Romans 5, the first verse, talks about how you received your salvation through faith, how you've been reconciled through God through a free gift, and now you're at peace with God through Jesus Christ, and that's this wonderful life, and you like Romans 5, verse 1. But then it says something that you really don't expect and you don't want to hear. It says, and we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. We think, well, that's kind of ridiculous. Why do we have to do with that? Let's just focus on the good things that happen. But if you jump to verse 5, you suddenly see what happens through these trials. 
you suddenly see that as a platform that God will use to show you his love in a way that you might not have experienced if you didn't go through some difficult things in your life. We love verse 1. We love verse 5. It's that three, four, that's verse 2, 3, and 4 that get a little tricky. When it talks about that we will experience problems like suffering. But it says it's going to lead to perseverance. And then that's going to lead to character development. And then that's going to lead to hope. And then that comes a promise from God that says, and my hope will never disappoint you. Why will God's hope never disappoint you? Because the Holy Spirit's going to constantly be pouring God's love into you. That's why we don't become disappointed. Because we have more of God's love than any disappointments that we would have. Now, for starters, I think it's important to back up and say, we don't rejoice because of trials or problems. Paul's not saying that we rejoice because a person we love died or a friend gets a bad doctor's report. We rejoice because we know that God is faithful and he would do something bigger than we could imagine or expect out of this. That God is faithful that through the most difficult, hardest time of your life, that God says he will teach you perseverance and he will teach you character development. Sometimes those are two things that are missing from people. Perseverance and character development. Some people want God to do big, mighty, powerful things in their life, but you look at them and you think, you don't have any character because you're skipping out of the tough things that God is doing in your life. We're all going to walk into problems this year. Let's all walk in and say, hey, I want to develop perseverance. I want to develop stronger character, and I want that to lead that I'm a person that's filled with hope because God is pouring his love into me in a powerful way. We need some more character in the body of Christ. Now, it might seem kind of interesting. Why am I preaching this message about trials and hardships and difficulty? Because if you're here last week, I kind of gave much more of like a, a happier message. Last week, I said I have two words for all of you. Get ready. Get ready for some really good things that God's going to do in your life. And now I'm sitting here bringing up hard things. Why am I doing that? Because we can expect trials and difficulties and hard things to happen in the midst of God doing big and wonderful things in our life. And so often when we're expecting such good things to happen, we run into a few tricky, hard things. We get so discouraged, we kind of give up. I don't want any of you to give up this year. It's easy to give up in the first couple weeks of the year because we're like, seriously? It's not even the, it's the eighth and already it's hard. Don't give up. Maybe you're going through something hard. Rejoice and say, I'm getting some good character. Rejoice and say, I'm getting some perseverance. I talked earlier last week and said, there's two verses in the Bible that I want to be our guiding verses for this community as we go through this new year. One is 1 Corinthians 3, 9. I love this verse. It says, for we are both God's workers and you are God's field. You are God's building. I love this verse because God looks at us and says, look, you're my co-workers. You're my co-workers. I need you. I need you to help me do what I'm planning to do. I need you to allow me to do this work of character development in your life because I need you to help show other people how much I love them. 
This verse is a promise from God that I need you. It's a promise of our future, but it's also God saying, and I'm in your field. That's that's a visual of God says, I'm in your garden. I'm doing things in your life that you're probably not even aware of, but I'm actively working in your life so you can be a co-worker with me. We're going to lean into that verse this year, and we're going to lean into Isaiah 55, 11 and 12 that says Yahweh will always guide you where to go and what to do. He will fill you with refreshment even when you're in a dry, difficult place. He will continually restore strength to you so that you will flourish like a well-watered garden and like an ever-flowing, trustworthy spring of blessings. That's beautiful what God's doing in our life. This again, it's that visual of a garden. God is a gardener from the beginning to the Bible to the end of the Bible. And he's saying, you are my garden. And I'm going to make something beautiful out of it. And then I love the end of that, uh, verse 12, and it says, your people will rebuild long deserted ruins. Buildings anew on foundations laid long before you. And this is what we get to do here. You will be known as repairs of cities and restorers of communities. That's what God wants to do in our life. He wants to use us to repair communities, repair families, repair cities. That's what he wants us to do. This beautiful imagery of a garden gives us comfort for what God is doing. And then he says, and you're going to work with me to do this to other people. I believe these are prophetic words for you as individuals, but also as this body together. And this year, we're going to lean into these verses. We're going to understand what these verses mean. And we're going to understand the surrounding verses. So we understand what is our responsibility And we're going to seek the experience of the Holy Spirit this year working in our garden so we can be repairers of cities and communities. We will see God do mighty things in this community this year. You will see them in your life. And we'll all experience some trials as well. I wish we didn't have those trials. But we know that through these trials, God is going to demonstrate to us the love that he has for us in a way that we might not experience if everything was always perfectly easy. But we need to be prepared so we don't give up. But now I want you to notice something in Romans 5, verse 6 and 7, 8. Verse 5 says that the love of God has been poured into our hearts. We can see that picture. You can see that imagery of God pouring his love into our hearts. And then verse 8 says, God demonstrates his great love. In other words, God demonstrates his love for us by having Jesus die for us. Poured and demonstrate. Poured and experience. Those are good visual words for us to think about. But it's interesting when you look at the tense of the words. It says that Jesus died for us. That's past tense. We know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross. So you'd expect in the verse 8, it would say that God demonstrated his love to us by having Jesus die on the cross. But it doesn't say demonstrated. It says demonstrates. There's a big difference. God demonstrates his love to us. That means it's constantly happening. Every single day, 24-7, God is demonstrating his love to you. 
He didn't just do it once when Jesus died. He just didn't do it once when you were created. But every single day, every minute of the day, God is demonstrating his love to you. That's why the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is so important in our lives. To have the Holy Spirit 24-7 is so important because he is constantly showing us how much God loves us how much God values us, how much God is fighting for us, how much God is doing things in our life that we would never imagine or anticipate. Yeah, it would be nice to have a sit down with Jesus and say, I got 10 questions for you. Can I get a direct answer? But we would miss out on being a recipient of God's love cascading into our life on a daily basis. That's what I want us to be aware of this year the love of God, the compassion of God for us. I think that one thing will help us be able to persevere during anything that happens this year that will give us hope and it will give us victory and will give us assurance of God's faithfulness. When we can experience his love, that will be transformational. Today I want to close this message by doing communion with all of you. We're going to take the bread and the wine together and we're going to, or bread and the grape juice together, And we're going to experience how God demonstrated his love for us 2,000 years ago. When Jesus was with his first disciples, they sat around for a meal. And he said, look, I want you to experience my death and resurrection. I want you to experience that this bread would be symbolic of my body that I gave up for you. And the wine's a symbol of his blood that he gave up for us. And I want us to do this, uh, this um, communion as part of our meal experience. When Jesus sat with his disciples, they sat around a table there having a meal. So what we're going to do is Greg and his team is going to lead us in a song. And then after that song, I'm going, they're going to just play instrumental in the background. And I'm going to ask you to come up when you're ready, when you want to. And I'm just going to serve you the, the grape juice and the bread. You take it as you want it, eat it, and then go and enjoy the charcuterie board. I want this to be just a one big seamless meal. It would be easier if I did it in there, but I didn't prepare But I want us to be able to do that together after the message, participate in this, and then continue the communion with other people. So God, I thank you for today, and I thank you, Lord, for the reminder that you love us continually, and that you are constantly pouring into our hearts a realization of how much you love us. And God, I know sometimes we can be like the disciples, and we're like, I don't know if I really like the deal of the Holy Spirit. I'd rather have Jesus. God, would you help us to be people that are grateful for the Holy Spirit and people that know how to rely and live into the experience of the Holy Spirit. God, help us to be a community that can show people, especially the younger generation and the emerging generation, what a life looks like relying on the Holy Spirit. Help us to be that community. God, I pray that you bless each person here, bless their families, bless their extended families. God, I pray for our community, someone that's not here today, Lord, that you'd be with them and bless them and encourage them as well. God, I pray that as we participate in this communion today, that you would strengthen us, that you would nourish us. I pray, Lord, that you would cause your life force in us to just activate any parts of us that are dormant or discouraged or frustrated. God, I pray that we would be renewed today as through this communion experience as well as our gathering and eating together experience. 
May we experience true communion of being joined with the Holy Spirit, but being joined with the community of believers as well. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>